of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, and say amen when you're there. I told you I've been preaching a series out of the book of Ephesians, and what that helps me is that, you know what, it really does, uh, God knows what he's doing. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Amen. Every chapter I've preached a sermon. This one I told you that I had to break chapter 5 in two sermons. And the same thing with the sermon tonight. I'm actually preaching uh, chapter 6, uh, and I am actually going uh, going to be preaching that in two parts, chapters, chapter 6 tonight and the other part on Wednesday night. So I have been talking about, in the last three sermons, the other day I talked about walking in pretty much it is what God has called you to be. Every one of you, God has called you a certain thing. He's called you out of something, but he's called you to live worthy of your calling. I preached about the other day about walking, how a Christian walks in this world. And so I told you that. Now I want to talk about this morning, how a Christian walks in their home. And I want to look at, because you know that God has a certain way that you should be walking in your home. And I want to look at what God's guideline in this. And as before I start, I want to read here in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Are you there? It says this, Now wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, and also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ has also loved the church and gave himself for her that he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he may present to her himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason a man shall cleave to his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you particularly so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that he may be well with you, and you may be live long on the earth. And in you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, I pray, Lord God, for the anointing, Lord. Help me to minister your gospel this evening, Lord God, with an anointing this morning, Lord God, that you would touch every heart. Give me an open door, Lord God, to speak truth, Lord God, this morning. We ask this, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, 
I want to talk about how to walk in your home. And here I want you to understand what is going on. The Apostle Paul has written to the church there in Ephesus. And this letter that he is writing is a letter that is not dealing with a certain subject like you would read in different letters that he writes. Like to the letter to the Galatian church, the church in Rome, the church in Corinth. This letter is for Christians. This letter was written telling Christians how you should live and in this one text, he is dealing how a man or a woman or a child should live in their own household. And I want to look at that because, listen, God has a certain government. He has a certain guideline. He has a certain way he sees things. And he has a certain pattern that he wants you to have in your house. The first thing I want to look at, it's not a democracy. I am sorry. I know we live in the United States of America, and we are, uh, we are a republic democracy. In other words, what that means is we believe in democracy, but we are also a republic. In other words, you and I vote certain senators and mayors and governors and a president in positions, and hopefully those senators and those mayors and those governors will actually legislate law and and they're for the people. I don't know if you know that. And in reality, that's what we believe in here in America. And so some of us here, we, we don't like that fact that God is not a Democrat or a Republican. The reality is that God is not into democracy. He does not care about your rights. Oh, some of you just got upset right now. The reality is that it's not a democracy. It's not that you can take a vote. You know, some of us, we love, let's take a vote on that. Listen, the kingdom of God doesn't care about your vote. It doesn't care about your rights. That is not God's pattern. If you want some rights, that is not the kingdom of God. I'm going to also say this. The kingdom of God is not a dictatorship. What do I mean by that? What I mean exactly why I just said, because many think that, you know what, Christianity is some form of dictatorship. Listen to me, it's not. God doesn't want your home to be a dictatorship. He doesn't want to be communist China or Cuba. These are, these are dictatorships. These are uh, communist countries that believe in communism, believe in one dictator. Some of you are uh, Star Wars nerds. Let me put it this way. The dark side was dictatorship. Darth Vader was a dictator. Do you remember those Star Wars days? And you had the good guys, the Republic. Oh, anyways, anyways, that's what it was. You know, Dark Vader was into ruling. I'm going to rule the universe. And, and that was his thing. And the reality is Christianity is not a dictatorship. So maybe in your home, you like to say, look, in my home, we have a democracy. But that is not God's pattern. It doesn't care if you have rights. But on the other side, God says your home should not be a dictatorship where you have Roman rule and the man is putting down the hammer and the gauntlet saying this is the way it's going to be done. You're going to do what I say because this is a dictatorship. That's not God's pattern. God never wanted it designed to be that way. More, it's more like a monarchy but more like a theocracy. In other words, where we have one king and that is God alone. 
But the reality, the way God fashions and what his pattern is, is delegated authority. What do I mean by that? This is what it comes down to. God is into delegating his authority to his people. In other words, what God wants to do is put people in certain positions and he places uh, authority to certain people. And he says, look, this is how it's going to be. There's a head and there's a body. There's a leader and there's those that should be led. And he says those two have two different things. They both have responsibilities. He isn't to delegate authority. This is what happens when Moses came into rule there in the Old Testament. When Moses had to rule all these uh, uh, Israelites that came out of Egypt. And as he's there, they're all coming to him with their problems day in and day out. And he's weary and he's tired. And Jethro, his uncle, tells him, Moses, what are you doing? He says, well, you know, God gave me this authority over the Israelites. I'm here. I'm, they have problems. They need counseling. They need marriage counseling. They need uh, finance counseling. I'm trying to help them out. And Jethro comes up with a great idea, which was from God. He tells, Jethro tells Moses, he goes, Moses, listen to me. What you're going to have to do is very simple. You're going to have to delegate your authority. You're going to have to put people in positions so that you're not doing everything by yourself. Listen, I have delegated authority here. The reality is when I go overseas, I delegate authority. I say, look, brothers, this brother's in charge. When I'm gone, it's like he is my voice when I'm not here. Amen. I'm just saying that right there. I put people in positions so it's delegated. I can't handle all the situations that go on in the church. And so as the church grows, I may have to put more men and couples into leadership roles and say, look, this is your position. This is yours. Uh, you're going to help me out. This is what happens when Joseph became pretty much the, the, the Pharaoh. And as he put him in this position, Pharaoh tells Joseph, listen, what you say is like my voice. If you, as you come on the scene, it's like I am coming on the scene. You have my keys. You have my authority. And so this has always been God's plan to have delegated authority to his people that this is God's blueprint that God says this. Listen, I don't care about your rights. Your rights are outside of God's plans. I know. You love having your rights. Women's lib. Some of you here, I have a right. I need to vote. I want this. This is my right, and I have a right to do what I want to. I'm an American. How many of you have ever done this before? Well, maybe you haven't, but the reality, every one of us feel that we have rights, and that's the truth. But when it comes to God's kingdom, he says, you know what? It's not about your rights. See, responsibility is what God is concerned about. In other words, God is concerned with one thing. Are you doing your responsibility? Right here in this scripture I just read, God is giving a list of responsibilities to the wife and to the husband and to the children. He is not telling them rights. He does not say, honey, sister girl, you got some rights. He didn't say, brother, you have a right. He didn't say, children, you got a right. He says, here is your responsibilities. Because this is what God intended from the beginning of time. 
He wanted you and I to understand one thing. He has an order. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. What is marriage today? You know what marriage today is? It's two people living together because it's cheap. Marriage, you know, more people say, well, why even get married, you know? If you're just going to get married, it's just a piece of paper. And that's what's become. Or some people get married because, hey, you know what? Uh, it's improper not to be married and, you know, have relations. You hear what I'm saying? And some people get married for those reasons. Or some people get married because they think it's cheaper, you know, it's, it's say they're living in two different places. But that's not marriage. And the reality, God's intention for marriage was something much more. And he talks about it in the scripture. Verse 31, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and two shall become one flesh. Now think about that for a moment. God's intention is that two separate entities would come together and form one. It sounds like some movie of a trip. There they come, uh, one entity here, and comes here, and they come and form this one big Power Ranger. No, that's not what's going on. What it was is that this one person and that person come together to make one great person. He says that's what God's intended. Not see the problem is marriages today are two-headed monsters, where they have two heads. What, you know, one is going in this direction, one is going to that direction. Instead of coming together as one body and one thing, they're having two heads. And God said, that was never my intention since the beginning of time. I've always intended that when a man and woman come together, that they would have one head and one body. The problem is we have too many marriages with two heads and two bodies. And I want to look at what God's picture. And some of you are saying, well, pastor, I'm not married. This sermon is just for you too. So don't shut me out and don't say, oh, I'm doing this one out today because this one is for you. What are our responsibilities as Paul says it here in the scriptures? Well, I'm going to say something here. Paul doesn't spend a lot of time on the women. He spends more time on the men. So I will do the same thing, sister. But he does speak to the women. And so I want to go in the same realm he is talking about, the same uh, pretty much order as Paul goes. So my question to you, sister, what is your attitude towards your man or your husband? How do you see your husband? Because the Apostle Paul says it very clearly here. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands. Oh, some sisters are cringing up right now as I hear that word, submit, subordinate. We, I have a right, Pastor. Now, let's think about that for a moment. When you look at your husband, do you see Jesus? This is not blasphemy. This is not propaganda on mine or manipulation. I was go to the scripture and what it says. Submit to your own husband as to the Lord. In other words, do you look at your husband like you do Jesus? In other words, would you argue with Jesus the way you argue with your husband? Would you behave to Jesus the same way? Imagine if Jesus, uh, you know, this is, look, this is hearsay, okay? This is a picture. 
He is saying, it's, if Jesus came, you fell in love with Jesus, he put a ring on your finger, and he says, okay, now you're my wife, because Jesus never got married on earth, and he says, you're my wife, would you behave differently, would you act differently, if Jesus was your husband? How would you change your attitude? Would you say the certain things that you say? He says, submit unto your husbands as unto the Lord. And that's something very powerful. In other words, you know what he's saying? Sis, do you look up to your husband or do you look down? Is he your head? Because you can't have two heads. Is he your head? Do you look up to him or do you look down to him? The problem today in today's society, I see more women look down on their husbands than they look. I can pray better than him. I have stronger willpower than him. I can do, I'm smarter than him. And all they're saying is, I look down on him. And Paul's making it very clear here. And he's saying, you know what? How do you see your husband? Now, some of you here are saying, Pastor, I don't have a husband. I say to you, marry a guy that you can look up to. Because more and more, ladies are not marrying men they can look up to. They want to marry a guy that they can, I, I'll make him better. Instead of saying, no, marrying a guy that you can look up to, instead of saying, I'm going to make him what I want him to be. Listen, it never works. And I've seen sometimes where women come out of this, this covering. They come out of this pattern that God has for them. And he says, you know what? In reality, they've lost respect for their husbands. How do you see your husband this evening, this morning, I mean? You know, the problem is a lot of times you, you hear people today, uh, a lot of people, oh, that, Paul was dealing with the social customs at that time he had to deal with them that way because you know back then the romans and the greeks they, they belittled women so he of course that's what he's saying you know women they can lead just as good as men you know i'm not saying women can't lead or don't have the ability to lead in their homes what i'm saying it's not god's pattern and what god wanted it to be the problem is that's what i'm dealing with and we're dealing with that because you know what paul did say something very different that the Romans and the Greeks and every other religion does not say in philosophies. You know what that is? He gave men responsibility too, sis. So I'm going to back off the little sisters here right now. Because Paul just said, submit unto your husband as to unto the Lord. But he does talk to the husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ has loved the church and gave himself to her. You know, God holds the man with a greater accountability than the wife. That's why I preach to men on this all the time. I know men don't like it because you're called to be the leader, not your wife. You're called to be the head, not the body. And many times husbands are not being someone that they can be looked up to. Match with, are you making it easier for your wife to look up to you or are you making it very difficult for her? Because I think sometimes it's got to be fair that the husband has to say, I'm going to live my life in such a way so that she can look up to me and I'm not making it difficult for her. And better yet, I'm making it so that she can see Jesus in me. 
The problem is that many men don't live their lives this way. Some of you men here, I'm not married, Pastor. Well, good. Let me help you out. Be a man that a woman can look up to. Be a man that when your wife comes in, that's who I want to follow. The problem today where war women are not following men because men are not fulfilling what God has called them to be. Listen, when Adam and Eve were there and Eve took of the tree, took of the fruit, God held Adam responsible, not Eve. Because God's responsibility lays upon the man. And he says something very particular. He says, love your wife. So, husbands, how do we love our wives as Christ loved the church? This is very simple. The first one, he says in verse 25, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. How do you love her? You have to prepare to make any sacrifice. Let me tell you something, bro. You can't count the costs in love. In other words... You don't count the cost. Oh, pastor, I'm just counting the cost. No, you don't count the cost when it comes to love. That means you'll do whatever it takes. You will sacrifice whatever it takes. Sometimes, you know what that means, bro? That means when your wife is blowing up and she's going haywire and crazy, that means you still stay and say, no, I will make the sacrifice. I will stand. He's not calculating He's not counting. He's willing to do whatever it takes in any sacrifice. What's the other part he said? He says in verse 26, listen, that he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he may present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, not anything such thing, but should be holy and without blemish. You know how you can love her? A cleansing love. You know what a cleansing love is? His responsibility to make his wife beautiful. Did you know your wife's beauty is dictated on you? I know, sister, you're glamour girl, cosmopolitan, all that kind of stuff. But the reality is, the wife's beauty is the responsibility of the husband. Well, his pastor, I go put makeup on her and all that. No, God forbid that ever would happen. <laughs> or the sister's like, Pastor, no, no way. No, the truth is, your wife's demeanor and what she and her beauty comes from how you treat her. You know, I got the biggest compliment one time many years ago. Not many years ago. Was, we were on the Israel trip, and I was there with Pastor Rob Scribner, the former L.A. Rams. Uh, I think he was a white receiver for them many years ago. And, and I'm talking to him, and he's talking to Didi. And you know what he says to Didi? He says, you must be a good husband. And he go, I go, Why? Because you have a happy wife. And many times I look at women that are discouraged and upset or whatever, and I just have to look at their husband and say, that's what you do. Your wife will feel beautiful in how you treat her and how you make her feel. So that you can cleanse her and sanctify her as a washing, having no spot or wrinkle. He also says to her, look what it says in verse 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cleanses it just as the Lord does the church. You know what that means? Exactly what it says. You know, it's pretty, he's being very practical here. He says, love your wife 
as your own body because she's your body now. You're the head, bro, but your wife is the body. And what does that mean? He uses two words, by nourishing and cherishing her. The word nourishing is a very simple word that means what? Taking care of what you need to be taken care of, the necessities. But the cherishing part is all the other goodies on top of that. You hear what I'm saying? You're supposed to take care of your wife, but you're supposed to also cherish her. Do you hear what I'm saying? That word cherish, like she's something special, not something you scorn at, not something that you're upset with, something of beauty, something that you hold with high regard. He says you do these things, and it shows or has Christ because, listen, the analogy that he draws is how Christ loves the church. And Christ loves the church. He says, look at how God loves this church, how Christ loves this church. How does he treat the church? He's always fulfilling every necessity that the church needs, doesn't he? But he also cherishes the churches with his presence, with his blessing, with his love. What's the blessing of God? God's what? Favor. Supernatural favor. Some of you didn't even know what that was last until we talked about in Bible study. Amen? That's why some of you should go to Bible study. I love you. I'm just throwing that little plug there. But the reality is this, beloved. God's pattern has always been this right here. And right after that, he goes into a whole thing with the children. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with the children. But he says one thing to the children. Obey your parents right but i want to say something very interesting when he says that obey he says obey he's talking when children as they're small but as they get older there's a time period where they don't obey any longer you know that you know what the age was for a, a normal jew or a hebrew boy like jesus at his age is the, the age of 12 years old that's when they had their bar mitzvah this is when they go this is where jesus was when they found jesus there Remember, they found him in the, in, in the temple, and he was talking amongst all the scholars and all the Pharisees, and he's, he's blowing their minds, and his parents come to him and say, Jesus, where were you? We've been looking for you these last three days. And Jesus says, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? And if you read that scripture very carefully, because at 12 years old, they were considered a man. They didn't have to obey. He says, from that day forward, Jesus submitted unto his parents. That's a sermon in itself. So what do all these three have in common? I begin to think really closely. You know what they had in common? Very simple. He doesn't give them a guideline. He didn't say, wives, submit to your husbands because they look like Jesus or they act like Jesus. He's actually talking to people and women that maybe are married to unsaved husbands. And he says, you should treat him like Jesus, even though he may not act like Jesus. I'm not giving you uh, a guideline. Well, pastor, he's nothing like Jesus. Look at him. And you know what he says? I never gave you that option. I didn't talk about your rights. I just told you about your responsibilities. I didn't tell you if he was right or perfect or good. Submit unto him and treat him as you would treat the Lord. So, sis, how do you talk to him? What do you say? What do you, what's your attitude towards him? You know, sis, you think because you don't say it, but your attitude says otherwise. 
You know that, that scripture where God says God loves the cheerful giver? You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the attitude of the person. Sis, you can be a cheerful giver or a bitter giver, and I'm telling you, it permeates out of your spirit. Amen? You can look at a plum, and you can know it's rotten by the way it smells. It may look juicy, but it permeates a stench. And I've seen sometimes where women's attitude, if you're not careful, permeates a stench. And it's, you know what? It's not what God intended for you, sis. He didn't give you a guideline because he's perfect. So, sis, if you're not married, marry a guy you can look up to. So, guess what? You don't have a problem like this. Men, you know what it means? He gives you a lot of definition. He's, he, he breaks it down for the man. He says, you better love your wives. And the real simple truth is as Christ loved the church. Understanding this revelation, how Christ loves this church and the church as a body, he's willing to give his life for it. And you know what, kids? He says, obey your parents, not because they're great or perfect. He says, obey them because you're your parents. Simple as that. Simple, isn't it? And he says, if you do these things, you will be doing exactly what God's pattern has been in all this time. You know what I think a lot of times, you guys, some of you here, you don't have peace. You don't have peace. Some of you don't have peace in your home. You know why you don't have peace in your home? Because maybe, because you're not submitting unto your husband as unto the Lord. You don't look at your husband like he's Jesus. You look at him, you look at him as whatever you look at him. I don't know what name you say that he is. Amen. Look at him, he's a lazy bum. That's what he is, pastor. He's not Jesus. He says, Sir, submit unto him like he is the Lord, like Jesus. The other side, I think there's men here. You're not cherishing your wife admonishing her, treating her as Christ loved the church. And there's some children. Listen, teenager, kid, because there ain't that much in here. Let me breath spill out for you. Obey your parents. There's nothing wrong where children can cause a, a disruption in a marriage. Amen? And he says these three things. If all these are not, if these are not going fulfilled, you know what? You won't have peace in the home. How do you get peace from all this? He says, if you do these three things, you will have total peace in that home. The problem is, are we doing those things? But he says, if you do this, you will have peace. You know what I was thinking about when I was uh, writing this sermon? And it's kind of crazy how this all turned out like th this day. And, you know, Pastor Mitchell's, uh, Nelda Mitchell passed away uh, the other day, Thursday. Very difficult for me to say this, amen. what I do know they had peace why because I, when I look at Pastor Mitchell you know she passed away and one of the things I do see in her me and Didi got to spend some time with Pastor Mitchell not much time but we got to see Nelda and Pastor Mitchell and when I saw their life I saw this Peace 
peace. I said, you know what? When I'm their age, I'm going to be like that. God's plan and his pattern. It's perfect. You know, we did this like this. You know, all society would be where it needs to be. We wouldn't have chaos. We wouldn't have rebellion. We'd have peace in the home. But what happens today, we say, you know, I want to do my pattern my way, Pastor. I want my rights. I want to do this. Listen, you'll never have peace. You want peace? Just follow God's pattern. Walk like this in your home. Submit unto your husband as like he is Jesus. And listen, bro, love your wife as she. Admonish her. Love her as Christ loved the church. And children, obey your parents. I'll talk about the rest tonight. I like your head bowed whenever I close. Because there's actually a part two to this. Talks about walking in your job and different things, but I'm not going to go on.